Imagine this. You're a judge on Canadian Idol, one of the Idol's singing contest TV show franchises. And what got you there was establishing numerous musical acts and getting them in the charts. Most notably, and arguably, Canada's favorite band, the Tragically Hip. In fact, you've literally won the Manager of the Year Award three times. Pretty great for a kid from New Jersey. So who are you and what changed the game for you? Let's find out. You're listening to Game Changers, the podcast series with Brittle Star. Today's guest, Jake Gold. Hey, Jake, thanks for uh, joining us. Hello, thanks for having me. It's very exciting. I, uh, I, you know, I've kind of been, I think I actually met you once before in 1992 Whoa. In, Kingston, in Kingston, Ontario, actually. What were you doing there? Uh, I was going to Queens, uh, and I think you were coming to speak to like the law I re- students. Or something? I, I remember that. You remember me? <laughs> no, 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 no. no I, don't, I don't remember. I don't remember you, but I do remember going to, que- to Queens to speak to the law uh, students there. I can't remember exactly what we talked about, but you were very congenial and you were lovely to me. I don't think I had anything worthwhile to say to you. And I tried to make conversation, but I was like, I got nothing to say to this guy. I don't have anything worthwhile. Well, it was, it was funny because, you know, I, I basically finished high school. I did a half a year of college and then I, you know, met some bands and decided to go on the road back in 1979. And... And then I find myself doing, you know, entertainment law classes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it wasn't the only one I did. I did many. Sure. It must have been super weird having like, you know, going to talk to these. Uh, I mean, they're hardly kids. They're still young. But I mean, they're, you know, they're like postgrad students and stuff. And does that seem sort of weird to sort of have dropped out of school and then going in and talk to these people? Or? Um, well, I prefer when it's more of a, an interview type thing like this than, you know, writing a prepared speech. Because right. um, I, I think people most with Q&A's, I think there's people get more information from that. Mm-hmm. Than me just getting up there and talking. I, I did do um, uh, uh, a big speech. The first one I ever did was for the the COCA, which is Canadian Organization of Campus Activities. So it's all oh, the right. all the campus buyers from around um, Canada get together for a big conference, and there's showcases of bands and stuff. And I I did one there one year. I think it was the same year. 1992, right. and, and it was in London, Ontario, and that was the first time I actually had to write a speech. Right. Besides my first marriage, <laughs> where I had to give a speech at my at my marriage. At right. My How wedding. did that turn out? Well, interestingly enough, and this is actually a pretty good segue into uh-huh. why we're here today. Um, my my business partner, who I met in 1986. Um, was a guy named Alan Gregg, mm-hmm. and um, he, he'd been giving speeches forever. So I went to him and I said, I have to give this speech. And, and he was one of the guys at my wedding party. And uh, he gave me some pointers on how to do it. And, and, uh, and I wrote the speech and I went through it with him. And he gave me these key pointers on how to, how to write it, not just how to write the speech, but actually how to lay it out and to use um, recipe cards. Right. So you use, you know, you put a singular thought on one card uh-huh. and that when you turn the card, it's a natural pause into the next, um, into the next thought. Right. And so I had, you know, I went out and got recipe cards. I had this stack of recipe cards. And, um, 
And I became much better at giving speeches because of that one little tidbit of advice. Right. Well, this is, I think as you said, this might be a good segue because, you know, we're talking about game changing events and, and about the people, places or events or whatever that really kind of open the door for people and, and open their eyes to, you know, what they would go on to do and become successes in. So, I mean, is, is, uh, is that speech writing one of your game changing moments? Or? No, I, I would say meeting Alan was. Right. Meeting Alan was, which we met in 1986. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we met in 85. We actually met in December 85, and um, I was managing this band that was signed to RCA Records called uh, New Regime. Right. And um, uh, they had a sax player that uh, played on their records and sometimes would play live with them, and, and his name's uh, Earl Seymour. He's, he's passed away. Right. Um, great, great sax player. Um, <clears throat> and he grew up with Alan Gregg in Edmonton, and mm. Alan was you know trying to help some young uh, artist, and Earl said, well, you should talk to Jake. Maybe he can help you. And we met, and... I had a partner at the time, but things weren't going well, and I split with my partner, and I called Alan. I said, well, for now, I'm going to be working for my house, and, um, you know, I'm still here to help you with your project. And, right. and he said, well, well, you know, what what are you going to do? I said, well, you know, right now, I'll just go work for my home, you know. And that was literally a landline, you know. There was no yeah. e- no email. It was like, <laughs> we're, talking, we're talking like January 86. And he said, well, we should meet. And we got together, and he said, you know, what would it take to start a company, get some office space? And so I, we ran the numbers, and he said, okay, let's do this. I'm going to be your partner. Let's do this. And uh, we opened up the company uh, that was like January 31st, 1986. So when you had that, when you met uh, him and you started talking about this stuff and you're planning it out and getting the numbers and saying, yeah, let's do this. Like, were you really aware of the fact you're like, oh, yeah, if things are going to happen now? Or are you like, I don't know, maybe it's not going to happen? I kept saying, like, why me? Like, why was right. he, you know? And I remember I uh, it was a couple of years later and things, you know, and what happened was that late that August, we got sent, um, we got sent a, a tape. Um uh, by this guy named Hugh Siegel. And Hugh um, was a guy that Alan knew from his politics world, because Alan right, was right. a public opinion pollster, well, still kind of is, but more or less retired. And um, and Hugh's uh, brother-in-law was friends with these five guys from Kingston. They were all mm-hmm. living in Kingston. And they sent us a tape, and we heard the tape, and we went, oh, we need to see this band, and we set up a gig to go see them. And that was, like, late August of 86. And... Uh, and, you know, there were two, I guess there were two game changer situations that happened in 1986 because the, the meeting Alan and starting the business with him and really learning about how to run a business and, right. and um, you know, having some, you know, some financial backing to get it, get it going and get it started. And then, you know, the second one, um, without a doubt, was when we set up the gig to see these five guys from Kingston. Mm-hmm. Called the tragically hip, and right. uh, and it was at Larry's Hideaway in Toronto. I mean, I've told this story so many times, but sure. but um, and seeing them hit the stage, and you know, thirty seconds into the first song, I looked at Alan. I said, "We have to sign these guys tonight." So, were you aware of like the the large? I mean, obviously, you're going to watch these guys playing, and you're watching the hip, and you're like, "Yeah, these guys are worth signing." Um, but are you looking at them, and are you aware of like just how impactful they would be for you? Like that moment that's sort of finding these guys? Um, 
I knew how impactful they could be. Mm-hmm. And by virtue of being, you know, right place at the right time, being their manager, um, I knew, which is why I said to Alan, we need to sign these guys tonight, mm-hmm. like before anybody else does kind of thing. Right. Um, but it was undeniable. And, 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 and the funny thing is, is that you don't know what it really is mm-hmm. until you've seen it. Mm-hmm. So you think you've seen it before. <laughs> and and you think you've seen greatness and you think oh these guys are really good and this band's really good and you know all of this kind of stuff and then you see that and you go uh-oh right this is a game changer excuse right. the excuse the expression but it truly was and and like our jaws were on the floor nine I know it's kind of a different thing, like because in the music industry, obviously, as you said, you especially in the music industry, it's uh, you you have to kind of see it before you realize it's it. It's got that X factor, whatever you want to call it. Um, do you think there's any way? I mean, like you know, can anyone? Uh, let me rephrase this. Do you think there's any way for someone to create those kind of moments, those those kind of game changing moments, or you just kind of have to be in the right place at the right time? Well, you know, I always say that, you know, luck is knowing when to seize opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but here's the thing. There are a lot of, you know, uh, artists out there that, um, uh, you know, there's, there's great singers that can have great songs, that can have great songs written for them, and they can be really popular, mm-hmm. right? But one thing that I saw and and also the way we then when we took the band on how we managed them for those 18 years mm-hmm. that, we, that we worked with them um, was what I saw was you know we can make cultural impact here mm-hmm. we can we can make um, we can make lasting historic contributions to culture mm-hmm. um, not just be another band right and and right. that that was like you know you know this was you know we saw them and we said okay yes you know and obviously um at the time it was gord's charisma was undeniable and it was like you know this guy has an opportunity to move lots of people right right and and uh I remember, like, as we were we were shopping the band around, and people were saying, "Well, you know, the singer's okay, the singer's good, but I don't know about the rest of the band." And <laughs> you know, it was like that kind of stuff. And uh-huh. and I was and I was like, "You guys are crazy!" Uh-huh. Like, I I don't understand why you don't see what I see. And I spent the rest of my time proving it. Right. Right. Which is super interesting to me because I think, you know, outside of music as well and talking to the people we've talked to, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to, you know, business people and that type of thing for this series. And one of the things is that they seem to be able to recognize these game changing moments and not necessarily everybody around them recognizes those moments. They don't sort of see the same thing. So is there anything that you kind of look out for in these moments? I know with music, it's that it factor. But I mean, beyond that. Are there well, even even meeting Alan because I I remember I was like wow you know I've kind of met a guy who's you know it's kind of weird because I've said this to him but um, you know I lost my father when I was seventeen now why <laughs> while Alan wasn't um, a lot older than me I think he's four to six years older than me um, you know at the time he was very established in business um, he 
was already really successful. Right. Um, right. You know, had written books, was well known, uh, great contacts in media, and yet wasn't in the business. He was an outsider, mm -hmm. um, which actually really helped at the time. Um, um, so, so. You know, for me, it was kind of like, wow, uh, this is a really good opportunity for me to to meet up, to to start to work with a real mentor, right. because I didn't have a father as a mentor, which most guys do. I was, you know, 1986 or 85 when I met him. I was 27 years old, mm -hmm. and I had been a manager for five years. But when I think back to what I was doing then, yes, I was learning about you know keeping bands on the road and learning the live business and all of that stuff. But I wasn't really, you know. Um, well, this is interesting because I, there's a couple of things. One is. Uh, uh, the outsider aspect of it. I mean, I'm a I'm a huge believer in the benefit of being an outsider. I think that if there's a, you know, sometimes you have to play an established game, whatever industry right. you're in. Uh, but at the same time, there's great value in kind of coming at it from the side, as opposed to you know trying to fight your way upstream because everyone else is playing the same game. Would right. you agree and, to that? And, and, yeah, and I and I and I had a, the benefit of having not had any real success yet. Right, right. So, so we were kind of rewriting the rules, you right, know, right. as we went, and and uh, and we were all like we believed so much that when people would say no, we would just say, okay, well, we're just going to do it anyways. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. it even even when we were like signed to labels, we'd be like, okay, we want to do this. No, we don't want to do that. Okay, well, we're going to do it ourselves. We'll, right, you know, right. and sometimes we would use it as a negotiating ploy we'd be mm -hmm. like you know no we're going to do it ourselves anyways so you can either pay for it or not but we're going to do it ourselves okay fine we'll pay for it like right, that right. that was but it wasn't really a ploy it was more like well we're going to do it so mm -hmm. either you're you're with us or you're not you know um, it seems to be kind of a common theme right that you kind of have to uh, as you said you know luck is just knowing when to seize opportunity and i think a lot of people have also said uh, that we've spoken to have said uh, you know, you have to be in action. You have to be in motion to be able to actually get these opportunities and these sort of these, even if they're tiny game changing things. And I think that kind of falls into that same idea of, you know, someone says, no, you can't do something. And then you want to just go ahead and start doing it anyway. Well, there, there's that. And there has to be a, a sense of urgency, too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I've, I've heard other people talk about that sense of urgency of right, right. Um, of you know, the need to kind of get it done. Mm -hmm. um, the, I, I will say that over the years, the one thing I have learned is the sense of urgency, but tempered with, with um, you know, uh, caution. Because sometimes you can jump into things and it's a little too soon or too mm -hmm. early and you make mistakes. So right, right. Um, I think you need the sense of urgency, but you need the sense of urgency with caution. So that kind of brings us into the the mentor aspect of it because it's also interesting. And a few people have stated that they're uh, like, for example, uh, Drew Scott and uh, Amber Mack both mentioned, regardless of what you think of the guy, Tony Robbins, as mm -hmm. like this is like a guy who's like he's really for some reason kind not really necessarily a mentor because the mentor suggests there's more of a hands-on aspect to it, right. and more of a direct relationship. But just someone that you're kind of looking at as kind of like a, I don't know, a beacon or like a guiding star? I, I can say that 
Alan was definitely like probably the most important business influence in my life sure. because because but it was hands on. We were t we we were meeting and talking every day mm -hmm. for a long time for ten years, you know, um, and we still talk. So. Um, less about business like he's not really he hasn't been involved in a long time but mm -hmm. but um, um, but we still talk and and uh, you know I, I and I you know I'll go back to the other thing is that I once said to him I said you know why me like mm -hmm. why did you choose to to decide to you know put some money and and get involved with someone like me and because I was just you know this scrappy kid from Yes, originally born in New Jersey, but raised right, right. raised here. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, "You were the first guy in the business that offered to work with me for nothing. Right. Everybody else had their hand out. Everybody else wanted my money. You were the first guy that said, "Hey, if something happens, um, then you know you'll we'll all make money together." And this was you know when I was helping him with the project of this artist he was trying to back. Um, and he, because he said to me, what do you want to get paid? I said, well, you know, if we get a deal, we'll set up a showcase. If we get a deal or people are interested, then I'll, I'll be the guy's manager and that's how we'll work. And mm -hmm. he was like, okay, fine by me. But everybody else he had encountered up until that point, you know, just saw dollar signs and wanted to take money from him. Mm -hmm. And he said, you were the first guy that ever did that, that basically said, you know, you'll work if there's money to be made. So... I know that you said, like, there's only a few years uh, difference in age between you and Alan, but I, I, I mean, obviously, it's, or not obviously, but it sort of seems to me that if you have someone who's a little bit further into the game than you, um, they have the, almost like the benefit of hindsight of what you're going through, you know, before you can, before it's even happened to you, they can kind of look back and sort of see but, these things. But that's what mentors do, right? <laughs> and that's, that's a hands-on mentor. I, I, I don't buy into, I mean, maybe I should, I don't know, but I don't buy into the, the, the self-help and right, right. walking on coals and, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like I've been in, through enough shit in my life. I don't <laughs> think I need to do all of that, you know, like honestly, you know, it's like, um, you know, really, like I, I, I deal with enough shit and enough yeah. years in therapy. You don't really need to go walk <laughs> on coals and, you know. I mean, if it works for someone, it works for them. That's fantastic, right? I mean, that's right. what you do in a lot of different things. Right. Uh, yeah. It's certainly, it's just very interesting to me that there always seems to be someone that's kind of like they're looking at someone else, uh, or rather you're looking at someone else who's kind of either been through it or going through it or is somehow motivating you through it or whatever and that seems to help and it's just a, an interesting thing um so is there any way for people to be able to tell when you're being presented with these like game-changing moments whether it be meeting someone new or i mean one of the things someone else had said before was that uh, i think it was m griner had actually said uh you know, you go for a coffee with someone because you want to go for a coffee with them. Um, but you should say yes to those coffees more than no, because you never know where, you know, what's going to come of it. You never well, know. Well, uh, that's, that's the same thing. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, being there, like, um, my, my friend, Bob Lefsetz, who I've done a few mm -hmm. podcasts with, um, always says, you know, you know, always say yes. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if you read him or, but, but he always says, always say yes. Like, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like I say to bands, like you don't turn down shows unless they're horrible, horrible, horrible shows because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't yeah. know who's going to be there. And if, if you don't, if you're, if you're not playing your show, 
then your store is closed because yeah. your store is the table where you sell your CDs and your merch and whatever else you're doing. You yeah, know, yeah. it's yeah, like, yeah. it's like, you know, you got to keep your doors open. And that's the same thing with taking meetings. And that's why I return every phone call. Mm -hmm. I return every email, whether whether it's a yes or not, sometimes yeah, yeah. they're asking me to do something and I know it's not the right thing and I'll sure, say sure. no. Um, and you know, you got to worry about time management too. But at the same time, like if, if, if you, if I say luck is knowing when to seize opportunity, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you don't say yes, then there are no opportunities. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? <laughs> It's like, you know, you want to play the lottery without buying a ticket. Well, that's kind of not going to happen. It doesn't work. Right. Exactly. Tell me, what are you working on now that you want to tell us about? What are you most excited about right now? Well, my, my, um, I have three main things that I'm working on, and uh, one is, is percolating as well. So I'm working with a, a fantastic group called Splash and Boots, which are a children's group, which mm -hmm. perform for you know kids. They, they yeah, have yeah. a show that airs on Treehouse all the time, and, and they're touring all over the country, and they have a big Canadian tour coming up and starting mid-September all the way across the country. And they're just amazing people. They, it's almost like um, a vindication for me to be working with someone like this um, right. um, or, or, or um, you know, uh, resolve. Um, and I work with a, a young uh, alternative band called Commandeer that's mm -hmm. just record, about to record their second set of music. They put out two EPs last year. Um, I'm uh, I'm working with Moberg, and as a result, that means the pursuit of happiness. And, and right. in September, we're launching the uh, 30th anniversary of Love Junk. Yeah, le legendary record, right? Right, legendary. Yeah, yeah. you know, produced by um, Todd Rundgren, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so it's you know a big package, vinyl, the whole thing, uh, B sides that are never never been heard, those right, kinds right. of things. So that's coming out in September, September 21st, and um, and then um, I'm also working with a, uh, this project called Hipprov, mm -hmm. which is um, a really interesting thing. It's it's um, imagine it's run for a couple of summers at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, mm -hmm. and I'm working with a guy named Jeff Andrews, and the uh, the hypnotist's name is Asad Meki. Jeff manages uh, Colin Mockery, and they've mm -hmm. done this show at, at the uh, Edinburgh Fringe. And basically, a, a guy, um, the audience members get hypnotized, and then they get to do improv with a guy <laughs> like Colin Mockery. <laughs> so, so the hilarity then ensues, yeah. right? Um, and and you you know about. Improv, you know, sure. improv is is all about um, yes, and. yes yeah. and. Well, when you're under hypnosis, there are no no's. <laughs> Sounds terrifying, <laughs> right? So you so you you get you get all these people who are a lot of them are very very shy people, and sure, sure. And, and and all of a sudden all their in, um, inhibitions are dropped because they're under hypnosis and they find themselves doing improv with Colin Mockery on a. On stage, live, uh, and it, it's it's really good. So we're actually, you know, developing um, some maybe some permanent shows, and uh, and um, and we're developing a, a touring aspect to it right now. So. So we're in the midst of all of that. So that's the, those are the things that are keeping me really busy. And I also manage some record producers, and um, but more or less that's it. Amazing, that's great. So what's more debaucherous backstage, a rock and roll group or Splash and Boots? 
So definitely not splashing boots. Um, <laughs> and where can people find you? What's the best place for people to find you? Well, my the website for my company, the Management Trust, is uh, mgmtrust.ca. Well, thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to hearing it. You've been listening to Game Changers, the podcast series with Bristle Star. 